Ultrasound Gel Podcast. Welcome back to Ultrasound Gel Junior Podcast. We're happy to have you guys. I'm here with my esteemed co-host, Dr. Leanne McLean and Dr. Russ Horowitz, and I am Delia Gold. And today we're going to discuss the article entitled Point of Care Ultrasound and Sternal Notch Confirms Depth of Endotracheal Tube in Children. Kind of to give some background for those of you who aren't aware, us ultrasound enthusiasts love ultrasounding the neck to check tube placement. We know that we can um, define the tube as being in the trachea as opposed to the esophagus using ultrasound. But there's been various studies that look at ways to measure the depth, right? So to know that you can avoid chest x-ray or know that your patient's getting proper and adequate ventilation, you want it to be both in the right tube, so to speak, as well as the right depth. So there's been multiple studies in the past that look at um, different methods such as diaphragm motion and lung sliding to measure depth. But this study builds on a study out of Canada where they put saline into the endotracheal tube cuff and use that as a way to um, measure the depth in the trachea. We know that ET tube malpositioning in children can be as high as 73%, even when we adhere to the depth recommendations that have been published and physical exam and end tidal CO2 won't always help determine the depth of tube in particular in certain types of patient populations, for example, a coding patient. And so chest x-ray has kind of remained the confirmatory standard for measuring endotracheal tube depth in, in an ER setting. Chest x-ray is not actually always ideal as at some institutions, there's issues with time delay and obtaining and processing the image. Sometimes when you are doing the chest x-ray, you're moving the patient, you can dislodge the tube and various other issues. So past studies have, have looked at different ways to measure the endotracheal tube depth. And in this study, they look to determine if a saline filled cuff seen at the suprasternal notch on ultrasound corresponds to the correct endotracheal tube depth on a chest x-ray. And for the purpose of this article, authors def had a pretty strict definition of what was appropriate depth on chest x-ray with the tip of the endotracheal tube needing to be at or below the clavicle and greater than or equal to one centimeter above the carina. The study population was patients who are zero to 18 years of age who were already there at the institution requiring a non-emergent cardiac catheterization and endotracheal tube placement. So these were not ER patients, um, but these patients were undergoing elective intubation anesthesia to evaluate their congenital heart defects. So we're an awesome available population that needed the endotracheal tube placed anyway. For exclusion criteria, they left out any patients who had an anticipated or known difficult airway, or those patients who for various reasons or size required an uncuffed tube, because obviously they couldn't um, use the saline trick. And for families who are unable to give consent, for patients that had incomplete data, and after they uh, obtained all the images for their patients, anyone whose ET tube cuff was seen above the suprasternal notch, because that was the area that they were measuring, that was the area where they placed the transducer in order to perform their study. If they were above the notch, they were also thrown out. Russ, what do you think about the study design? I love the design because what I think it um, it shows is that good research can be done in these control settings to gather some basic understanding of anatomy and physiology. 
And then moving forward, we can start to apply this to a very different environment. Just to build on some of the details that you described, it's obviously a controlled setting for cardiac anesthesia, so it doesn't truly reflect some of our patients. It was a single provider. And of course, the, a lot of studies need to have a single provider who is a super user to control for some limitations. But I think we can get to some of those details as we talk more about the, the results going forward. The process of how things were collected were the patients had been intubated in the OR. These were patients who were undergoing a cardiac cath. A high-frequency linear probe was placed right at the sternal notch. And in this view, what you can see is once the cuff is inflated, an anechoic rim around the uh, trachea, and that's indicative of the fluid-filled balloon. You can check out their uh, supplemental videos, which really show much better than I can describe. That'll give you a nice, clear understanding about how the appearance is going to be what they saw. Now, these are compared to the placement of the anesthesiologist with the markers on the ET tube. After these images were obtained, a second uh, sonographer reviewed a random sample of a third of the ultrasound clips to confirm the presence or absence of the cuff at the sternal notch. They also included some information about BMI, age of patients, and there were, this I think is actually incredibly important. They did a couple of different types of cuffs so that it wasn't, their findings weren't specific to a particular ET2 brand. So what did they find? Uh, so in this study, they used a total of 75 children who were enrolled. Uh, the endotracheal tube cuff was visualized at the suprasternal notch for 70 of those children and above in five. Uh, they were excluded in the analysis because really at the end of the day, from what we're able to understand from the paper, what they're trying to look at is if you visualize the cuff of the endotracheal tube at the suprasternal notch, does that correlate with our traditional positioning that we're familiar with looking at on a chest x-ray. The ETT cuff uh, was seen on the initial ultrasound for all but three patients. When they were not seen, uh, it was felt to be deep. And so what happened was the anesthesiologist at that time uh, proximally retracted the tube by about one centimeter. And then a repeat ultrasound was performed confirming visualization at that suprasternal notch. Uh, 10 of the patients they initially recruited had incomplete data. And so they were also excluded from their analysis. So the correct ET tube depth on chest x-ray images was noted in 57 of the 60 patients, which results in an accuracy of 95% for confirmation with saline filling at the suprasternal notch. And remember, this is talking about uh, saline cuff confirmation with point of care ultrasound when compared to chest x-ray, not when compared to actual visualization of the tube itself within the trachea um, and calculation of that carinal depth. To establish inter-rater reliability, as Russ already mentioned, uh, there were a subsection of the scans that were evaluated by a second investigator. An agreement uh, between those two had a 90% with a kappa coefficient of 0.91. There was no instance of cuff rupture or deflation uh, or ET tube dislodgement due to the pressure of the ultrasound transducer or any of the movements required for this study, which again really speaks to the safety of some of these practices that might seem really novel or interesting to certain providers, but are also standard in quite a few intubation procedures uh, where they do fill the saline cuff with water.
There were five patients whose ET tubes were seen above the suprasternal notch, and they were felt to have malpositioned tubes by the study's definition, and so they also were not included in the results. Some of the strengths of this paper were that even though there was a single super user, the scan was seemed to be easy to perform, and for those who actually perform it, it is a pretty straightforward scan. There was a high inter-rater reliability, and it was a test of concept that if you look at the suprasternal notch and you fill the cuff with saline, 95% of the time, if you're in the right spot, you're going to see that. There's some limitations as well. This was a small sample size and included this very specific population of patients who were well and in the OR getting a cardiac cath. Chest x-rays were reviewed at later dates, not kind of in real time, which makes sense with the single performer of scans, but there's some delay there. There was a limited number of incorrectly positioned ET tubes. I would have liked more information on the false positive, false negatives, the tubes that were high, the tubes that were low, and kind of putting them all into the analysis. For the five patients that they were seen above the suprasternal notch, they did do an analysis of what the sensitivity and specificity would be if you included them. And that was great, but I would have liked to see all patients kind of analyzed together, although that was not really the point of their study. So guys, what do you think? Where I am, sometimes people don't even know you can ultrasound an airway to determine that an ET tube is in the right place. What's the utility of this study? Where are some good places that you think that this would work, this technique would work? I think there's a couple of different levels of this study that really are useful. There's the first level of, can you look at the airway? The answer is yes. You can make sure that you're in the trachea as opposed to in the esophagus. That's been sort of done before. We're building on that to say, even though this is not in the emergency department setting, this approach has great validity and can be incredibly useful to help us identify by looking at the neck where the tip of the ET tube is. In certain circumstances, like in my department, we have actually right around the corner, they're waiting right outside the door. In others, it's in the ceiling. So it might seem as if it's not as useful in the immediate phase, but imagine all the circumstances where patients get, who are intubated, get transferred from a bed to the CT scanner or into or out of the elevator, into a different bed in the ICU or transported in an ambulance or a helicopter. And we have the circumstances of patients who acutely decompensate. So this technique screams to me how useful it can be in many, many circumstances. And I would love to take this information, then apply it to the chaotic environment of the emergency department, and then reinforce its utility in that setting. I think that's right, Russ. And one of the other strengths, I think, of this study is taking and building on Mark Tassaro's study where it looked at uh, the saline cuff filling and then bronchoscopy to compare. It's using chest x-ray, which is a really accessible type of comparison for many providers. Many of us are used to looking at chest x-rays to confirm tube depth, and we recognize the limitations and the strengths of that modality and taking that 2D picture of a 3D patient. And so I think using that as the comparison standard for this study is really, really applicable to those of us who are already very used to assessing those chest x-rays for tube depth. What I think would be very neat to do uh, as well when we talk about other environments is do this sort of study in maybe an intensive care unit where you've got patients in different positions and patients who are getting already their daily chest x-ray for tube placement and comparing that over time. I think it would be a really neat sort of extension of what they're trying to do here because really the, the conclusion is quite simple for them, right? 
right? They were really saying, if we look at the suprasternal notch and we fill our cuff with saline, is that gonna correlate to our correct ETT depth as defined by a chest X-ray? And so that is a really sort of simple question that shows it can be achieved. And now we have to start adding some complexity to apply it to different patient populations in the real world. I like as well that they used a variety of tubes I think that is an added element of realism that I really appreciated because we know that we're not going to be necessarily using a standard brand. And even though it's not a multi-site study, at least we're looking at a multi-tube study where we have different types of cuffs and different types of ET tubes, which maybe is more applicable across sites because it's unlikely that the three of us are all intubating with exactly the same uh, gear uh, in our if different emergency departments. I totally agree, Leanne. I think there's wonderful implications regarding quality improvement studies for reducing mm. chest x-rays in, in all ICUs, PICUs and NICUs, and for unexpected tube dislodgement, which I think she the, these authors kind of dance around, but that actually has become more of an issue. You know, we don't worry about getting it in so much, but is it in the right spot? And do we need yeah. to adjust it? And can we maybe, especially with these very tiny neonates that have tiny, tiny tubes that only half a centimeter makes a difference, things like being able to check at bedside with ultrasound would just make all the difference in the world. And so this was a great study, really interesting uh, proof of concept, and also just kind of building on the prior research done on saline filled cuffed tubes. So summary of this paper, we had 60 patients included in our analysis on this prospectively done study, looking at the end, the suprasternal notch, tried to identify a saline filled cuffed tube, there's 95% accuracy as compared to checking the depth on the chest x-ray. There was very high inter-reader reliability between the super user performing the scans and a second ultrasonographer to check placement. So the take-home points from this study is that it really is feasible to identify a saline-filled endotracheal tube in the suprasternal notch, really confirming some of the previous work that's been done. In this small population with expert intubation skills, there was a low incidence of inappropriate placement, but this technique did confirm correct position of the endotracheal tube with 95% accuracy. Patients with cuff visualization at levels higher than the suprasternal notch may not be at an appropriate endotracheal tube depth position. According to this study, uh, there was malposition in the majority of these patients. And so I think all of these things build on the existing literature, and I'm looking forward to future studies looking at this same technique in different environments and with different patient populations. Me too. I think this is incredibly exciting and something that we may end up using for many of our patients, particularly as we move them from environment to environment, which allows for a really unique opportunity to collaborate across the flow of our patients throughout the hospital. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed our Ultrasound Gel Junior podcast. If you have any more questions or want to get more information about the studies, check us out on ultrasoundgel.org or holler at us on Twitter. Happy scanning, everybody. More. Got to get a little bit of what they call the buy-in. <laughs>